Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to PW Grocer's Environmental Echo. I'm Paul Boyce, President and CEO of PW Grocer and your host for today. And I want to welcome you to join us with Dr. Chris Gobler in our second half, or our second part of our two-part series of our discussion with him. Back to the wastewater component, you know, my firm, is, as environmental engineers, we are routinely involved in the design of a variety of wastewater treatment systems, you know, down from um, single family residential stuff to regional applications of sewering, you know, and, and treatment plants, you know, to, to try to mitigate some of this nitrogen issues here. Um, what do you think, what's in your opinion, what's the best way to address, you know, the wastewater aspect of the nitrogen? You know, we, we mentioned all these unsewered homes that are on septic systems. A lot of them are outdated and they're not working that great. And they don't really remove a whole lot of nitrogen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, the old systems, you know, frankly, we don't think they move any nitrogen um, um, or very, very little. So, you know, I think the solution is going to be largely on-site systems um, with some opportunities for sewering. Um, and the reason I say that is just because all the economic studies that I've seen essentially show that, you know, if you're going to, for example, as I, I know you're aware, um, in the Massachusetts Shirley Peninsula, there was federal funding and they've got hundreds of millions of dollars to build a new sewage treatment plant and hook up new you know, neighborhoods, newly new neighborhoods to um, that sewage treatment plant. Um, but, it, you know, you, you take the number of homes you're going to get and you divide by the total cost of the project. And you're looking at, in, I believe the number is over $120,000 per home. Um, and, you know, Suffolk County's Reclaim Our Water site, if you look at what they're quoting for an on-site system, you know, it's the, the quotes are $20,000 for three-bedroom, $25,000 for four-bedroom. Now, in the end, you know, and it can be more than that, of course, uh, particularly if you get a tricky install and, you know, and, you know, sometimes sometimes it's easy. Those numbers are probably the, the ideal case scenario. But I, I, I guess no matter how you slice the pie, you're going to get more bang for the dollar, more bang for the buck uh, with the on-site systems. Now, you know, there's probably makes sense in areas where there's already sewage treatment plants. Uh, to extend and and plants can be the capacity can be uh, increased to extend sewer lines uh, and there may be you know it may be a more cost effective approach in that case to upgrade the plant extend the sewer lines and you're going to get more uh, homes up there and of course you know sewage treatment plants you know you once people are connected at least they the homeowners need to do anything right let's have to pay their sewer bill um you got so, it and that, i was happy about that <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the, so that's the, you know, that's a, obviously an additional cost. Um, yeah. So, well, on that topic, you know, the, the Center for Clean Water Technology, are you guys looking into any uh, newer or more innovative alternatives besides like septic systems and sewers? Yeah, well, we're looking into and actually we've pursued a variety of approaches um, and they run the gamut. Uh, I think we I could essentially put them into two buckets, I guess. And one would be addressing on-site systems, and then the other would be addressing what we would call legacy nitrogen. And so, for example, um, we have designed our own septic system called the nitrogen-removing biofilter. 
Um, this was approved by provisionally approved for installation by the public by Suffolk County earlier this year. Um, it's actually the best performing system tested in Suffolk County when it comes to nitrogen effluent. Um, it gets down to 11 milligrams per liter, which outperforms every other uh, system tested. And that's amongst, um, I think, approaching two dozen uh, systems. And on top of removing nitrogen, um, what the system also does is remove all sorts of other contaminants, drugs, pharmaceuticals, and solvents. And wow. removes yeah, and removes them at rates that are actually better than a sewage treatment plant. Um, and there's no other system out there that can, you know, make this claim because, you know, people haven't measured it. And uh, these systems are very, very simple. They're, they're uh, based on a drain field design, which is actually how most of the nation deals with on-site wastewater. Uh, but it's the idea of having a drain field that's a layer of sand with a layer of sand and wood chips underneath. Um, and it's that layer of sand uh, that has lots of oxygen in it, is, and that's where we get the removal of the contaminants. Uh, it also converts ammonia to nitrate, and it's in the lower layer with the wood chips um, that is in an anoxic zone or an anaerobic zone uh, where we get the denitrification. Um, so we're very excited about that as it's as an, you know, one of one of the approved uh, IA systems. Um, we've also developed something called um, building off of the idea of the wood chips that we use in the NRB. We've developed something called a wood chip box, um, which is assist, um, essentially what we call a polishing unit that can be installed on any commercial IA system and can get the nitrate in many cases down to almost zero. Wow. Um, so, you know, the other systems, maybe they get down to uh, 15 or so. Um, but this, it, if, yeah, it, so any of the nitrate that comes that's in that leftover, this can wipe that out. Um, and then, and both, so both of those, we've, we've done installs and, you know, we've got, for example, about 30 NRBs installed thus far. We're looking to get many more. Um, and then we're also innovating on uh, additional designs. We have uh, an all-in-one sort of box system that we're working on right now. It's called FlexTreat. Uh, it's not ready for installation yet, but it's doing very well. We're getting 10 milligrams per liter with that, and we're hoping to be able to spring that on the public um, in the near future. And, um, and we're also looking into what we call septic retrofits. And the possibility of, you know, can we, if someone already has just a septic tank and a leaching ring, are there ways to really not have to take that out and just work with what's there and upgrade that and make it function better for removing nitrogen? Man, that is really cool stuff. And I've heard of the wood chip stuff before, but my question, my follow-up question is, you know, obviously it's, it's organic. Does it degrade over time? How... How long do these things last? When do you have to like regenerate or replace the wood chip layer? Yeah. So um, first I'll speak to, well, the first thing I'll say is that wherever we have the wood chips, it's always in an area that's devoid of nitrogen, right? Because we want denitrification that only happens in the absence of nitrogen. Um, and as it turns out, you know, the, the organisms that would break down wood chips would be bacteria maybe fungus um you know if they have to switch from aerobic respiration to anaerobic which they do because it's um anoxic their rates of metabolism drop 20 fold 
And so because the microbes are growing 20 fold slower, the rate of that wood degradation is slower as well. And um, and I always like to give the story that, um, you know, I've, I've been to places before, I actually in, in Europe, a place called a fjord, which is like an estuary there. Bottom of those estuaries tend to be anoxic because there's a still at the end of them. And uh, so anyway, I went to visit one of those once in Denmark. There was a museum on the fjord and they had um, a Viking ship in that museum that looked just like a Viking ship. Right. And it and, and it was a thousand years old. And the reason that the wood was still intact is that because it was down in this anoxic fjord. And, and I heard a, a parallel story about um, a ship pulled out of the Great Lakes um, recently as well. Oh, man, that's awesome. That is that's really good to hear. So this, you know, I'm not going to say anything's indefinite, but that that makes me feel as an engineer. We go to install these things, telling people that it's going to last a lot longer than you think. So yeah, yeah. Have. And I'll also just mention the the um, the wood chip box, which we have a variety of the nitrogen reducing biofilter, where we have a sand layer that goes right to a box, and or, and or the box that goes onto an IA system. The box is built, and the motivation for it is that you can actually access those wood chips. So if there were some point in time where whether you felt that the wood chips were not functioning optimally, or if you ran into some sort of hydraulic issue, you could actually go in, open up the box, and you know you can take out those wood chips and replace them. Even better. All right, so we're, we're getting close to the end. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but there is, you know, there's one more area before we wrap up. Uh, Lake Agawam in Southampton. That's mm. press lately. My office has been, you know, on the fringes of it and whatnot. So we're really interested. We're really excited. You know, what's being done out there to improve the water quality? Um, you know, I know, quickly, if you can just tell us, you know, what's really the issue with, with the lake? Yeah. So Lake Agawam, um, you know, like actually all the water bodies in Long Island were built during the last uh, glacial retreat. Right. So it's like a, it's it's right on the ocean there. And it was carved out by a glacier and at that point had just like an ocean beach would just sand on the bottom. And it was you know, a beautiful lake. And and I even know people that as early I know a man, Tim Corwin in Southampton, his grandfather took had swimming lessons in Lake Agawam. Right. So it was really, you know, it was a, it was a publicly used lake. Um, but in recent decades, it's really degraded. And and I brought up the idea of the sediment and the glacier because now instead of having sand at the bottom, there's, you know, in some places we think 10 feet of mud uh, that's just been accumulating for thousands of years. Um, and, you know, it, unfortunately, it, it has a watershed that goes um, very far north from where it is. There's, you know, thousands of homes in the watershed that are draining wastewater in. There's a main street that's on sewer that's right next to it. Um, and so there's a lot of contaminants, nitrogen, phosphorus, other contaminants that have been, you know, for decades and decades draining into the lake. Um, and because it's a lake, there's no way for those sediments to get out. Really. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 and so because it's fresh water, though, instead of having the, the variety of harmful algal blooms it's been having uh, are these blue-green algal blooms that do make toxins. Um, so, you know, the lake has been in not great shape for the past um, two decades. I've been actually been studying it for 20 years. Um, and, you know, it's been each year it's been green. It's 
had some good years, some bad years. It has gotten a little bit better in recent years, and I think that's partly a function. They still have the issues, but the village of Southampton has played a very active role in trying to divert uh, runoff away from the lake. So, I mean, literally, it, when I started working on that lake 20 years ago, the village of Southampton was designed to have all the water purposely drain into the lake. Um, and so when you have a rain event, you just see that there are, there are these storm drains there that are, you know, I think they're, you know, 10 by five boxes and that just would fly in. So they've been doing a lot of, there's been a huge effort in the last uh, decade to divert a lot of that runoff. Um, you know, there's been a lot of e effort along the lake to, um, you know, install buffers to, uh, to prevent runoff going directly into the lake. There's now a plan underway uh, to sewer uh, Main Street in Southampton. Um, I'm working on a project to put in what's known as a permeably reactive barrier. Um, it's actually, I, I should, that was the original intent. Actually, it's going to end up being what's known as an injection well uh, PRB uh, at the north end of the lake. Um, there's the plan to put in what are called algae skimmers uh, in the lake to essentially pull out the harmful algal blooms. Um, and people are starting to upgrade their septic systems. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's more on the way as well. I've been doing some research on something called a photocatalyst that is, uh, looks very promising and degrading sediment, uh, specifically organic sediments, I should say. And so, um, yeah, so there's, a, there's been a lot done, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. Oh, yeah. uh, but there's a lot of promise on the horizon for it as well. So we're, are we putting a dent in it? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, for sure. But there's definitely, Good. there's, we've definitely seen that, you know, they, I mean, there were some, not five years ago or so, I mean, there were some events there that were just plain old scary. Like we'd get the numbers back on the you know, blue green algae and their toxins. And, you know, they were kind of like, did someone make a mistake here? Because it was, you know, it'd be like orders of magnitude bet, bet bigger than what we see in other systems. Um, but that's sort of, you know, we haven't been seeing those those astronomical events. So the blue-green algae are still there. They're still too high. There's still blue-green algal toxins. Um, so there needs to be improvements, but there have already been, you know, thanks to the efforts of the village and the uh, people around, there have been some improvements uh, in the recent past. All right. So to, to wrap up and maybe to tie into that, I mean, in my office, you know, we've worked on, you know, estimates of magically we could say sewer the entire county of Suffolk, and wave a wand and boom, it's all sewered. You know, how long is it going to take for whatever nitrogen we've put in to sort of flush out and get back to sort of natural or, or normal levels? You know, we know it's going to be decades, right? So mm. um, what does the future hold for Long Island and its water quality issues? Are we making progress? Can we make progress? You know, just just to wrap up, what do you think, Chris? Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I'm incredibly optimistic. Um, and, you know, it's partly because, of, you know, specifically, I, I was going to say Suffolk County, but actually in both counties, you know, the, the, the initiatives underway um, are really remarkable. You know, for, and I'll just, you know, very briefly call out I met with the uh, the director of the division of water with DEC yesterday, uh, and today he was inspecting. Uh, I think it was the final link to take the Bay Park sewage treatment plant over to the Cedar Creek sewage treatment plant. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the oh, yeah. con conveyance project. But 
you know, that's like 70% of the wastewater of Nassau County. And currently it's just discharged right into what we call the Western base. And that place has been, you know, incredibly problematic. When that project kicks off, there's gonna be a day where they literally flip the switch and the wastewater that's been pouring into that system for, you know, hundreds of years is suddenly gonna stop. I mean, full stop, none of it will go in there, right? And so that's an incredible change and, uh, you know, came about by a lot of federal and state support. And here in Suffolk County, you know, the, the changes in addressing wastewater in the last, um, you know, put it at eight years have been remarkable, right? Article 19 passed and, you know, I, the, the, the term I usually, I often use for Suffolk County is it's gone from worst to first in the handling of on-site wastewater in this country. And that is that, you know, EPA has even found, prior to what happened, uh, this change in Article 19, you know, EPA literally made declarations that the practices in Suffolk County were illegal for on-site wastewater, right? The injection of wastewater into the drinking water source. Um, yep. So, you know, that's definitely worse when you've got the EPA telling you, you, you know, you really can't be doing that. But I can say now with Article 19, which is, of course, the legislation that has facilitated the installation of these nitrogen removing septic systems, I can say with confidence, there's not another county in the country that has a program that's as robust, scientifically based, uh, and and aggressive in addressing on-site wastewater uh, and, and specifically upgrading these septic systems. Um, you know, because th we're not the only place that's an issue, a problem with this. You know, you can go to Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Florida, Maryland. It's a big issue. A quarter of the country's on sewer. And so, and, you know, a lot of these, in each of those water bodies I call, those states I call out, there are water bodies that are suffering. But, you know, the, everything is in place now for Suffolk County to make a big turnaround. Um, and, you know, and they're giving, they're giving out grants, you know, if you, in the, you can get $20,000 to upgrade your system. Um, anybody in Suffolk County can get that. On um, the East End and in Southampton and East Hampton, you can get $40,000 to upgrade your septic system. So, you know, that's really unheard of. There's no other, you know, not only is this the most aggressive upgrade program, but with the, there's, you know, that kind of finance that you just can't find anywhere else. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I am very optimistic that we're, we're on the right path. And, um, you know, they, they, in addition, I, I should call out besides article 19, the sub watersheds plan, you know, says here, we've got 360,000 unsewered units. Here are the 200,000 that we're prioritizing. Right. And if you look at the map for where they're calling those out, it's an ugly map in that it's totally not, you know, it's not like it's, oh, we'll just draw a line here. Right. They use incredible science to draft out these watersheds to say, okay, step one, make sure we're protecting drinking water sources. And then step two, you know, what water bodies are the most sensitive? And, you know, it's very, very clear the south shore of Long Island is is the one that's really taking the biggest hit from wastewater because it's so shallow right that you've you're not getting the, the dilution and it not only is it the shallowest but as it turns out 
it's got this minuscule tidal range. It's a three foot tidal range when you go from Shinnecock Bay all the way into National County. Um, you know, you, you have you have nine feet on the North Shore. You can get like twelve feet when you get into New York City. Um, so you got all you know, all the way sort of going in a small water body, and it's just sloshing around. You know, not moving, and that's and that's why it's so problematic, and that's why that's the region that was prioritized by Suffolk County in the subwatersheds plan. Um, so you know, it leads it leaves me optimistic. I do think um, you know we've made incredible progress and and you know we also are you know in the you mentioned the decadal time path for that water to get cleaned up you know there are ways of addressing that legacy nitrogen also i mentioned the permian reactive barriers so if you have very uh contaminated groundwater or nitrate contaminated groundwater you can install one of those and then we have in the water solutions when it comes to shellfish and even seaweeds for helping to remove nitrogen as well Chris, that is super encouraging, you know, because, <clears throat> excuse me, as I, as I mentioned, if we did nothing other than just turn it off, it's going to take decades. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear you're encouraged because <clears throat> I'm encouraged. I'm sure our listeners are. Great. Um, before we wrap up, anything you want to add or anything you, we, we didn't talk about that you think is important to mention? No, I think yeah, I think we covered it. You know, we're we've got we've got problems, but we also are in a good spot for solutions. So, uh, yeah, and like I said, that leaves me optimistic. That's that's what I like to tell my engineers: don't just bring me the problems, bring me the solutions. So that's mm -hmm. a good end. All right, so I I just want to say thank you, Chris, Dr. Chris Gobler, for joining us today. It was great having you on, and you're very insightful and uh, and real good information on these topics we covered. Uh, to our listeners, again, just to wrap up, this is the PW Grocer Environmental Echo Podcast. I'm Paul Boyce, your host, the president and CEO of PW Grocer. And again, one last way to get a hold of us is through our website, www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And again, I thank everyone for the time today. <laughs>